0: be seated all right take a long look at the uh, title today how many of you recognize it raise your right hand come on keep it high now no we've got about a couple hundred children somewhere else with the adults but come on if you're an adult and you recognize this movie raise your hand I want you to take a look around at the children in the room okay that either means you're a parent a grandparent or just a big kid like I am You know, my wife said that uh, we had three children, but she had four. I was the fourth. And there's nothing like some of the movies that are coming out. I think they're written more for adults than they are for children. Seriously. I mean, I don't know know how in the world that the children get half the humor in some of these, these animation films. And did you know that Despicable Me came out in July of 2010? There has been Despicable Me 2 that has already come out. And some of you cannot wait for Despicable Number 3 that's coming out, which will be next year, 2017. And so it's, it's, it's been an incredible ride for this first film, Despicable Me 1. They didn't have one before it or in it because they didn't anticipate two and three. But in 2011, it won the Golden Globe Award for the best animation film. And it received, I believe, 33 or 38 different uh, opportunities to get more awards But it did not win most of those But what an incredible film it was And the reason why it's incredible It's because it's an incredible plot About a guy who is despicable He is a mastermind criminal Who has concocted this incredible plan And in this plan that he has concocted He decides to use three orphan girls Now what he doesn't plan on As he's executing his plan Is that the love of these three children will be so great That he is forever changed and transformed by their love It's an incredible movie about how love transforms Even despicable people like a mastermind criminal Who uses them for his plot To carry out his plan Now why does this relate to us today? Because you and I, before we came to Christ Were like that despicable Criminal mastermind The Bible says in Romans 3.23 All of us have sinned and because we have sinned Romans 6.23 says the wage of sin is death Before we came to faith in Christ We were Despicable because of our sin We were degenerate We were despicable and we were all those other adjectives That you would care to even begin to talk about This morning But were it not For John 3.16 For for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Because of his love, he transformed us, forever changed us from despicable to beautiful. And now because of faith in Jesus Christ, because of this great love that God demonstrated for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can be transformed by this incredible love through the Father, through the Son, and through the Spirit into beautiful Amazing, wonderful people that we are today. So turn to your neighbor and say, He's talking about you, wake up. All right? Now, having said that, let me preface by what we're about to study today. It's probably one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. And I'm going to tell you right up front. And there are a lot of approaches that are being used for this passage today in many pulpits across the nation. In the past, the present, and in the future And uh, I wanted to be creative with this passage And so I prayed about and thought about long and hard About how we're going to address this very difficult passage Because I was afraid as we studied It might bring some amens from some of the group That are really inappropriate And uh, so I wanted to be very careful That we address it in a different way Because I believe scripture is intended for us To see ourselves, not just to see others And if we're not careful when we read a passage like this We have a tendency to see others and not ourselves And so we're not here to point the finger at other people We're here to Analyze evaluate and allow scriptures to apply and to speak into our lives so that as we read this scripture God communicates something into our lives that makes a difference in us not just in those outside of this room And so as we take a look at this passage I want to make sure that God speaks and communicates to us personally and us corporately as a church And so as I thought about this passage, I thought how do we address this passage in a way that does that And here's here's the rub What would your life be like today Without Jesus Now some of us are thinking, you know what, it really wouldn't be that much different. Well, you know what? You're about to be awakened to a new reality. Because you have this opinion yourself that is that is higher than what it should be. Because this passage I'm convinced as God uses by divine inspiration the apostle Paul in recording this passage for us, not just those then in Rome but us today, he helps us understand exactly who we were pre-Christ. And he helps us see in a mirror What we could potentially be like without Christ And I don't know if you've ever thought about As you looked in a mirror and evaluated your life today What would my life look like without Jesus Where would I be I guarantee you, you would not be here Some of us in here would be in prison today Some of us, including myself Would be a drug addict, an alcoholic An adulterer, a fornicator A liar a gossip, a bigot, a racist. We'd be all kinds of things. Because without the love of Christ having the transformational act that it had in our lives, we would not be who we are today. And we owe everything to Jesus. Who would you be without Jesus today? Where would you be without Jesus today? And what would you be doing right now without Christ? You'd be waiting for the 12 o'clock football game. Kansas City's about to play. I want to tell you, I care nothing about this football game at 12 o'clock. And the reason why is because Pittsburgh plays at one. I have a vested interest in that. I have a, a young man with a last name that I have, my nephew, who is their kicker. And so uh, my whole, f- there's a large part of my family up there today watching in, uh, this game. And obviously I can't be there because I'm here. But uh, Kansas City plays Pittsburgh, I think, the first Sunday in October And I will be rooting for Pittsburgh. I just want to let you know right up front. Not because I, you know, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. That's really been hard for me, (laughs) because we have loathed them for years. Uh, Anyway, since Terry Bradshaw and all of that. Some of you go, Terry Bradshaw, who's he? Yeah, that shows your age, man. But anyway, Roger Staubach, Terry Bradshaw, all those things. But anyway, I digress. As we analyze this passage. And I'm not trying to take the context away from the passage And the reason why God gave it to the Apostle Paul to speak But I want us to see this passage in light of who we would be without Jesus We're going to study the contextualization of the passage But we're going to study it in a way in which we're going to apply it to ourselves And say where would we be, who would we be, what would we be doing without Jesus I'm convinced without Jesus you would be in this category You are that despicable without Jesus and if we think anything differently, we need to reevaluate our, our understanding of ourselves and to see the depravity of the heart that eventually creates a downward spiral that brings us to the reality that without Jesus, we are and would be despicable people. It is Jesus that we sang about a while ago that makes all the difference in our lives. So let's take a look at it real quick. I've got a lot of passages, and we're going gonna, we're gonna, mean, to ride through this very quickly. I'm going to try to get out in a few minutes. Don't worry about Amy. Amy texted me a while ago. She's visiting. But you weren't the only one. I just want to let you know, Nathan. So, you know, I knew her and loved her before you did, but I didn't realize she was such a heathen. I'm just kidding. Amy said, I'll never ever come back to visit. She cuts my hair, by the way. So, anyway. Um, Without Jesus I am first of all decisively repressive I am decisively repressive On my own I not only pervert But I distort the revelation of God I pervert, corrupt the, the revelation of God We're going to see in the text that I am unresponsive to what God is revealing to me Not only am I unresponsive, but I am Unreceptive of what God is revealing to me and I reject what God is revealing to me and the ultimate thing that i do is i rationalize what god has revealed i twist it and i distort it and as a result of that then i exchange the truth of god for a lie i elevate myself above god and i exalt the creation above the creator that's me without god that's you without god Without Jesus, I am decisively repressive. We saw last week the reason why they were under the wrath of God, they were deserving of God's wrath, was because they suppressed the truth. That's us without Jesus. We do it even as believers sometimes because we don't like what God reveals into our lives. (laughs) Imagine if we didn't have the Holy Spirit and didn't have a Savior, how much we would repress or suppress the truth. Imagine how far we would take it And so we see in in, in, in verse 18 It says who by their unrighteousness They suppress the truth How do we suppress the truth? Let's take a look at verse 19 to 20 I am unresponsive to that which God reveals Verse 19 For what can be known about God is plain to them what can be known, this is an outward revelation of God revealing to them as common knowledge, common understanding. What can be known about God to them? Who is the them? He is writing, remember, as we take in context, two recipients of this letter. He's, he's writing to the, to the Israelites, to the Jewish people who had the revelation of Scripture. They had the Mosaic Laws. He's writing to them. He's going to address them later on in in the book. But right now, he's primarily addressing the Romans who will be receiving and reading this book who are Gentiles. They're not Jews. They're not Israelites. They've never had the revelation of God's Mosaic law. And so as a result of that, (laughs) he's building a case for why Gentiles, non-Jewish People need the gospel Why do unbelievers Who live in a distant country Who have never heard about Jesus Why do they need the gospel Because they're sinners And they need to be saved by the same grace That we have received And they have a revelation from God That they are going to be held accountable for And in front of god someday and he's going to say why should i let you into my heaven and they're not going to be able to answer correctly and so he's building a case for the gospel these gentiles they know very plainly because god has showed it to them who shows it to them god they don't discover it on their own they they are being a recipient of what god is revealing it To them. He is in the process of revealing himself to these Gentile people. How is he doing that? He says to that, he says exactly how he does it. He says, For this invisible attribute, for his invisible attributes that are plain, Namely, his eternal power and his divine nature Have been clearly perceived Ever since the creation of the world In the things that have been made God is revealing himself How? We talked about it a little bit last week he is revealing himself in his power And in his creation If you study anything about the Old Testament And you did today in your book about Naaman and all that We're going to go to that at the end of the text Whenever Israel Invaded and were Possessing the promised land The unbelievers who they were To do battle with Had heard about The power of God Providing and protecting his children And yet they did not receive their God That's the same concept here God is revealing that these Gentiles, these these people that he's addressing, they have had a revelation from God. They have seen, they understand very clearly, very specifically, it, it is it is documented evidence, it is truth, that they understand, they know that God is a powerful God. They have seen his revelation. They know he's powerful And they not only see it Through his revelation of his power But through his creation And we talked about last week All you have to do is go to Colorado Or maybe even further north to Montana Right Pastor Gail? The guys that went to Montana I thought the Rockies were gorgeous Until I went to Montana Uh, I remember when Gail and I went there last fall we We got tired of going wow You know Didn't we? We did You just can't but not be impressed That there is a creator That created all of this It didn't just magically happen By some little atomic blast Millions or billions of years ago And all this happened What idiot would believe that In my personal opinion that, that, that's, that's man unregenerate Who believes and who thinks And rationalizes That somehow this is some multi 1000000000 <laughs> chance thing that, that it all happened the way that it did, and we're here the way we are, and we're exactly where we are, and all it, it, it's all by chance. That, that's 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 not rational, and so God has been revealing Himself to these people, and so He says they are without excuse. These Gentiles, these non-Jewish people who didn't have the Scriptures, have God has been pursuing them. He has been revealing Himself to them. By his power and through creation God is is pursuing them Wanting to redeem them Wanting them to bring them unto himself But they are unresponsive to what God wants to do Number two, they are unreceptive to the truth Notice verse 21 For although they knew God They did not honor him as God Or give thanks to him But they became futile in their thinking And their foolish hearts were darkened They were unreceptive they were first of all non responsive, but God kept knocking on the door, and eventually, what they had to do is simply not receive. The knock itself and not go to the door and open the door and let God reveal himself They were just flat out unreceptive to what God wanted to show them They knew God Now we're not talking about the knowledge of the gospel and Christ having died We're not talking about these people once were believers but now they're not believers We're talking about unbelievers, Gentiles, who did not know the gospel But they had enough revelation revealed to them by God That they knew God existed and they knew there was a greater purpose for their life Than what they were currently experiencing if you do any study of culture in the past, in history, you know that, that, that cultural uh, people in the past, in their culture, they always sought to worship something greater than themselves. I mean, even if it was a rock. <laughs> They deified a rock. Because why? They knew that there was a God. They knew that there was something greater and beyond themselves. But notice, they failed to honor God. They forgot to give thanks to God. And they were futile in their thinking. That word futile in their thinking means that they were small-minded I had this concept that I believe that no one on this planet, no matter how intelligent they are or how many degrees they have in seminary or how red they are, can never fully understand the complexities and the infinity of God. God is an infinite being, you cannot fully comprehend, understand Him in your little finite mind. It's not gonna happen. Doesn't mean that we don't seek to know him and understand him And and, and try to know him as best we can But you're not going to be able to compartmentalize God Into a little small box in your little bitty brain God is bigger than that And the only time you're going to fully comprehend him Is when you get to heaven The veil will be lifted and he will reveal himself In all of his glory and you'll go wow I didn't realize all that And we're going to really I think I am And you probably will too I hope you will Understand how ignorant we really were About the reality of God because he's far complex and far greater than we could ever imagine Thought, dreamt, or talked about And so they were unreceptive Thirdly, they were unwise in their assessment They made an assessment In other words, now here they rationalize they, they, they were irresponsive, they were unreceptive And now they, they get to the point where they begin to rationalize You, you, you get the, the downward spiral here they, they, were, they were unresponsive Then they were unreceptive they rejected the truth that God was revealing And now they begin to rationalize the rejection of God And they do it in verse 22 and 23 Claiming to be wise, they, are, they became fools And exchanged the glory of the immortal God For images resembling mortal man And birds and animals and creeping things They claim to be wise There's nothing more foolish than claiming to be wise And being a fool they were claiming to be wise. Didn't mean they were wise, but they were claiming to be. They were projecting, they were professing, they were stepping up as if they were wise, and instead they became fools. And what did they do? They exchanged the truth for a lie, they elevated themselves above God, and they exalted the creation over the Creator. How foolish is that? To think that they are God. Or above God And elevate the creation Above God himself Does that sound like Modern day Culture of the United States of America We worship the creation More than the creator And so We Are guilty of the same I I remember When I was visiting um, My daughter in North Carolina And my uh, her oldest child, uh, Meredith, uh, likes to entertain. She's a real entertainer. She talks non, nonstop, just a beautiful little girl, but likes to perform. And, and they have this, this thing in their living room, this uh, fireplace with a, um, a step on it, you know, and then the fireplace. And so she gets on there, and that's her stage, and she's performing something. And, and we were there in her house, and, and I was in the living room, and I was watching something on television, and I wasn't watching her. And she was trying to get my attention, but I was captivated by something on television. Wives, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, we're like this sometimes, aren't we, ladies? Yeah. And it's bad enough when we're doing that to our wives, you shouldn't do that to your granddaughters, especially when they're trying to get your attention. And I was not paying attention, and and unbeknownst to me, she stopped, came over where I was, put her hand on my face like this, turned it to her face eye to eye and said, look at me, doc. Look at me. And I was ashamed because I was missing a moment with my granddaughter. God is is doing this. Look at me. Look at me. I am real. I am alive. I love you. I care about you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life That's more than what you're experiencing right now Glorify me, thank me, worship me, follow me Look, look And without Christ, we don't give a flip To be quite honest with you, let's take it one step further As a Christian, sometimes we don't give a flip Come on Sometimes you don't give a flip. And you've been changed by the transforming love of Jesus. And you've committed your heart and life to him. And he's trying to get your attention and you just flat out don't care. Imagine if you were an unbeliever, how little you would care. You wouldn't care at all. And and we need to understand that this is who we would be without Jesus. And we struggle with it with Jesus. Imagine without Jesus, how little we would care. And we wonder, how could someone do this? I was watching TV with Patty the other day. We were watching the 10 o'clock news about what was going on in the area of Wichita. We had to turn the TV off with all the stuff going on, all the rapes and the murders and all that going on. To turn it off. And, and, and the world is, is, is just flat out not wanting, not caring about God revealing himself to them. And that's who we'd be. Number two, I want us to take a look then after we see that without Jesus, not only would I be decisively repressive, I would be determinedly reckless. We only have three points, okay? We don't have ten today, but just two. I would be determinedly reckless. Now, I want you to take a look at this text. Three verses we're going to read, but we're going we're to point out three things in these three verses before we go on. I want you to notice in this text that in Romans one twenty four, and Romans one twenty six, and Romans one twenty eight, There are three phrases that are repeated almost identically Therefore, God gave them up For this reason, God gave them up And since they do not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up God gave them up And we have a tendency to believe that as we read this, we say, how cruel, how vindictive of God to do that. But keep in mind, before we came to faith in Christ, with an unbelieving world, a degenerate life, and a heart, God was constantly trying to get our attention. And at some point, even with him putting his hand on our face, saying, look at me. We turn him away, and God finally says, okay. Okay. If that's what you want... Okay, now this is not God being passive. This is not God being indifferent. This is not God being passive-aggressive. This is very much God being active because God is active now. Once he releases us, doesn't mean that he's out of our lives and he's out of the picture. God is very much in the picture. He's still in our lives because the circumstances and the conditions that are about to fall on those who will continue to reject and resist and defy God, he will, he will say, okay, but he's not, he's not absent in their lives because the consequences that are going to befall them because of their choice are going to be very much God. And the reason why God brings consequences to what we do is wrong is because God is trying to break us and bring us to himself. Even consequence of sin, God is seeking to redeem us and to draw us unto himself. Because if sin had no consequence, then you and I would not seek God at all in our brokenness. Because there would be no brokenness. And God gave them up. And he's very active not being vindictive Not just sort of brushing his hands And said okay and leaving, God, and leaving man To his own devices But he's very active now still continue to be active In their redemptive process and trying to draw them unto himself So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this passage Because I'm going to draw a conclusion At the end as we look at these four things About this recklessness That we undergo There's a downward spiral In which we flat out don't give a rip Apart from Christ What the end result is with our lives Did you know that a person that's not saved Doesn't really care about what happens In the area of sin And how degraded And how degenerate they become They just flat out don't care They just don't You didn't before you came to Christ And sometimes we don't as a Christian (laughs) Imagine without Christ and Without the Holy Spirit constantly Knocking on the door of our heart And saying hey Come home well, let's take a look at it. Notice, first of all, as God lets go, there's a degrading heart. It always starts with the heart. That's where it starts. That's the beginning point. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity. That is an, that is an internal craving. Is an internal craving, a passion of the heart and the mind. It is something the mind is constantly dwelling upon, and it is something that the heart is constantly passionate about. And this, this word passion is not a good word. To describe the love between a husband and wife Or or a passion for God It is a passion for that which is evil That which it says is impure That which is filthy That which is dirty That which is outside of the principles And the precepts or the commands of God It is something that is vile It is something that is wicked So our hearts and our minds are focused on these things These are body parts, our hearts and our minds And the end result, notice To dishonoring of their bodies among themselves Because they exchange the truth of God for Lie and worship and serve the creature Rather than the creator who is blessed forever Amen The downward spiral begins In the heart And it always starts with the heart And it always starts with the mind It starts here And the concept and the idea is that these two consenting adults Are engaged in sexual sin Now why did Paul Feeling led of the Holy Spirit Address sexual sin Because he's writing to Rome Anybody ever been to Rome? Other than me and, and Patty, we went there since we've been here for our fortieth anniversary. We we're walking in Rome and and there are there's a lot of statues there everywhere. Uh, uh, and and so and 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 you go to, to Paris and you see the same thing. There was such a vile, adulterous, fornicating sexuality. That was so perverted in Rome when the Apostle Paul wrote this that it became central to the message that he wrote because he knew of all the sins that he could have chosen, this one would communicate exactly what he needed to communicate under the direction of the Holy Spirit. It's similar to when you go to Paris as well. And I don't know if you go through Paris, you see these statues of these, these older men holding these children's hands, their statues. And you think, well, how sweet. That's a dad and a son or a grandpa and a, and a child. And then you hear, I heard someone, you know, one of those groups. I don't do those group things because I don't like to wait for people, you know. So sometimes you're uneducated in what you're seeing, but I didn't realize what I was seeing until I heard a lady telling the people that that is not what you think. That's not a father and son or and grandpa. That is a pedophile who is holding their sex slave. It's a status symbol of pedophilia in the empire of that day. That's how sexually degenerate the society had come in Jesus' day. And God is leading the Apostle Paul to to single out this to help communicate exactly what needs to be communicated to these people. And if you take a look at the text, you see that it began with the heart. And what he's talking about is two consenting adults having Sexual relations What kind of relations are they? They are relations outside or That are dishonorable to God's standards God's precepts They are a man having relations with a woman Or a woman with a man Well that doesn't seem too bad Because if they're married then that's fine That's God's purpose But what he's describing here is a man Who is single having sexual relations With a woman who is not single That's called fornication That's wrong it's wrong. It breaks God's standard. It's dishonoring to God. If I'm unmarried and I'm having sexual relations with someone who's unmarried, that's called fornication. That is a sin. If I'm married and I'm having sex relations with a, someone else who's married, that's called adultery. That is also wrong. And so here we see that a man and a woman are having consensual sex Single or married outside of the norms of God And so here it began in the heart And they began to then practice this this loose sexuality That's the beginning Notice the spiral The dishonoring passions, number two Notice how it begins to spiral down It started with a single guy with a, a single woman Or a married man and a married woman Defying the principles and the precepts of God Verse 26 For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions That word dishonorable means that they were Lowering themselves and their self-esteem, their value, the intent of God It was dishonorable passions For their women exchanged natural relations for those who were contrary to nature And the men likewise gave up natural relations for women And were consumed with passion for one another Men committing shameless acts with men And receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error Notice the consequence of their dishonorable passions They were enslaved to a burning desire that could only be be fed by the act of sin. They They exchanged what was natural for what was unnatural. They executed then the passions of their heart in sexuality outside of God's standard. And as a result of that, they earned then the penalty of their consequences. The downward spiral. Number three, or C. God gave them up to a debased mind. A debased mind. Men having relations with a woman, single or adultery, fornication or adultery. Now we have such relations between men and men and women and women. Downward spiral. Here's, here's the further downward spiral debased mind. That, that word debased means the quality of the value. Now, here's what it says. Look at it. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he's given us a reason why they didn't. And we saw that in verse 18 and other verses. God gave them up to what? A debased mind. What does that mean? It means that they made what was right, wrong, and what was wrong, right. They made what was bad, good. They switched the order. What was wrong now becomes right. What was bad now becomes good. So the standards of God, when they said this was bad, they made it into good. When God said this is right, they made it into something wrong and and just switched it to justify or rationalize what they were doing. But notice it says in the text, to do what ought not to be done. What does that mean, ought not to be done? Well, we can talk about principles and precepts of God, but I think the answer to that is down in verse 32, and it's not on your screen, but let me just read what it said. We're going to come to it in a minute. They did not only do them, but gave approval to those who practiced them. A debased mind. They changed what was wrong into something right, what was bad into something good, and they gave approval of those who practiced them. Here we have a debased mind that is changing the value system that that is set internally and with God because God sets the the internal compass in here. We all have a moral compass. And they're changing the bad into good and the wrong into right. They're doing it intentionally and they're approving of those. They're promoting that. They are teaching that. They are, they are trying to make it a political issue so that all of us embrace that which is wrong to be right and that which is bad to be good. It, it's a further deviation. It goes from something that affects me and another individual to something that now I am seeking to promote cross-culturally so that all of the culture and all of the civilization then embraces what I believe. And I'm promoting it, I'm marketing it, I'm pushing it, I'm politicking for it so that it becomes the new norm. Sound familiar? A debased mind leads finally, notice a downward spiral, to disgraceful things. Disgraceful things they were Filled that word filled means being Filled because of Past actions these now Are a present reality they were Filled with all manner of unrighteousness And there are 21 things that he lists Evil covetousness malice They were awful of envy murder strife Deceit maliciousness they were gossips Slanders haters of God insolent Haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient To parents foolish faithless Heartless and ruthless I have something I want to show you. We're talking about God letting them go. Happy, happy, happy. I don't know who gave this to me. If one of somebody on our staff gave this to me, I'm sorry, because it's not about to look like this anymore. Angela, you didn't give this to me, did you? You did? I'm sorry. I'm asking for forgiveness in advance. Do you do that, Alvin, sometimes? Okay. Um, Oh well The first point we made God is Holding Humanity in his hands Revealing himself to them Trying to get their attention Receive me Listen to me Look to me Your life has a higher purpose There's more meaning There's more value There's something eternal I'm I'm revealing I want to Come on And they don't And finally If you study the history of civilization I think Kyle and I were talking about this Just yesterday History sort of repeats itself Over the years And I think we're almost there again Where God just goes He just takes his hand out And this leaves us to our own devices Now if I were to drop this cup What would you say would happen Huh That's why I asked for forgiveness earlier What would happen why why there's a law of gravity you violate the law of gravity by letting this go down here depends upon the distance and how hard and how this and that something's going to happen and this will no longer look the same right there's a law called gravity there's a moral law that god has established as well there's not only a law of gravity, which is a physical law, there is a spiritual and moral law that God has established, and God says, if I let you go, I'm going to leave you to your own devices. And what God did is this it's what God did. He let him go. Who's to blame for that? Who's accountable for that? We are. God's trying to get our attention, and we keep resisting and rejecting, refusing, and rationalizing our own behavior, trying to redefine and elevating ourselves above God and elevating creation above God and and ignoring God. And God says, Okay, I'm just going to release you, and bam. God was a part of the bam. That's the consequence. Who inflicts consequence of sin? God does. God does. Why? To redeem us, to bring us, to break us, and to call us and call our attention to Him. Without consequences, we would not seek God at all. You would be a degenerate, lost individual without consequence to sin, and you would not be here today, and you more than likely would be in prison, you'd be a drug addict, you'd be an adulterer, you'd be a fornicator, you'd be a who knows who you'd be, where you'd be, and what you'd be doing. But it wouldn't be here seeking God and wanting to hear from God so you can live for God and follow God as a disciple of God, of Christ. Lastly, as we close, I want to look at the third and final thing. Without Jesus, not only, not only am I decisively regressive and determinedly reckless, I am deservedly rejected. There's one phrase I don't want to talk about here. It's so though they know God is righteous degrees that those who practice them are such things deserve what? They deserve to die. God has been trying to get mankind's attention with, with his creation Look, I am God. I am, I, am, I am creating this to get your attention. <laughs> See my power? See my creation? There's a greater purpose for your life. There's a moral compass that we have called a conscience within us. And that conscience is very real. If, if you drove here this morning in a 35-mile-an-hour speed zone, and you were going 75, and you were pulled over by a police officer... And he would ask you, why are you going 75? I said, well, I didn't know what the speed limit was. Is he going to let you off? Or is he going to write you up? Why? You knew in your heart you were going too fast. Come on. There's a moral compass within us all that God has created us with that tells us right from wrong. There are circumstances in this life that God is orchestrating. 9-11, we saw last week, was not an accident. I don't think it was caused by God, but it was allowed by God to what? In that circumstance, he was saying to America and to the world, I am here. And I don't know if you remember, but the church I was in down in South Carolina, the church doors were open and the church house was full for a couple of weeks. Those circumstances drove people to God. And there are circumstances that God brings into your life To drive you to Him And then there are consequences and circumstances And so God is trying to do all that And yet man has rejected God And God says, because you have rejected me At some point, I will reject you Because God, though He is a loving God A gracious God, a merciful God A caring God, who sent Jesus down the cross for us Because people reject that revelation Deserve what they deserve because they get what they get Not because God is a mean, vindictive God But because they rightfully deserve to get it Because they have sinned against God And the only way that God can be God Is to be not only a God of love But a God of justice Because without justice God would not be true to his character And many of us sometimes, many times Want to leave that part of God Out of the framework of who he is some of you studied Naaman today, didn't you? In 2 Kings, he had leprosy, right? And uh, a servant girl said, hey, I know somebody can help you, right? You need to go check him out, a prophet. His name is Elisha. And he made the journey to Elisha, and Elisha said, oh, what you need to do? He sent somebody out and said, what you need to do? You need to dip yourself in the river down there seven times. What you got to do? I'm not going to do that, man. I've got better water than that at home. That, that mucky, m- that nasty looking river down there. Uh, I'm not doing that. What if he had not done that? Would he have been healed? See, even though he had a revelation from God, he rejected the revelation. And it wasn't until he was obedient to that revelation and went and did what the prophet had told him to do that he come out healed. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wage of that sin is death. But God gave us this beautiful gift in his son Jesus. And if we confess with our mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that Christ raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Jesus is not a way He is the only way to deal with our sin before a holy and a righteous and a just God. So let's pray. Good morning. This morning we get to uh, celebrate with my friend Corbin Tyree here. This is Corbin, and if you are a part of his family or his life group or even his dad's life group, would you please stand and let him know how you support him?
1: All those people out there. Very cool.
0: Corbin, have you accepted Jesus into your heart to be your Savior? Yes. Yes? Okay. It's My privilege to baptize you, Corbin, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in the name of the Lord.